Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. Here, we're here to connect readers and authors so that the readers, you, can find that book or that author you're going to love. So I appreciate you being here. Get ready. Enjoy the show. Enjoy knowing the authors. And remember, subscribe. Tell people about the show. And go buy the author's books because if you like listening to them and you think they're interesting, they're going to love hearing from you. So here on Author Blurb, I'm talking with William R. Douglas today about his book, The Death and Resurrection of Baseball. And William, you have a lot of interesting reviews on your book. The story itself sounds quite interesting. I'll be honest with you, I've never been much of a baseball person, but the concept of your book could be looked at in many different ways from baseball being metaphor or whatever for different areas. I'm interested in hearing more about it. Could you tell me and everyone else a bit more about yourself, about your books, and then we can learn more what's going on? Sure. Well, thanks for uh, first, Eric, uh, for having me on your show, The Author Blurb. It's uh, an honor to be on here and come and talk about the book and have a, hopefully a lively interchange here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's my debut novel, The Death and Resurrection of Baseball, uh, Echoes from a Distant Past is the subtitle. But uh, yeah, it is a unique storyline. Um, it uh, takes place 140 years in the future. What has happened is that uh, there's been a second American Civil War uh, in the year 2061. And it uh, is the proverbial nail in the coffin, and the sport of baseball then dies as a result of the war. It's between now and 2061, 40 years from now, baseball is uh, on, a, on a long-term uh, steady decline in popularity. It, it, it becomes overcome by soccer and lacrosse and video games and other <laughs> sports and and uh because of the uh, shrinking numbers of uh little leagues in various towns across america the kids uh, uh there's less and less kids playing baseball which uh uh i think in the long term uh, does not bode well for the for the future of the sport but uh, anyway uh in the story uh 140 years from now a 12 year old boy um, finds a relic from the past um, that has a tie into baseball, but he doesn't know it because in his time, uh, 140 years from now, there's no person who has any memory of the sport of baseball. So he becomes the conduit to uh, rediscovering the sport and also bringing it back to American culture. And as your listeners know, obviously, baseball it can always be used somewhat metaphorically for America itself. So uh, it's a very, very unique storyline. It's getting good reviews and uh, really making the readers think uh, after they, they've uh, completed the read. All right. So let me ask this then. So, like I said, baseball, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I know it's still a popular sport. And I believe, like you said, the um, dec- there is a decrease in little leagues and things like that across the country. What made you decide to choose baseball as the, as a sport to use in your book, 
and what actually stemmed the book to be to come to fruition or what got you to decide sure. to even write it yeah so there there were several inputs that all went into the the formulation of the story the uh, the first input was uh, uh, an article I read several years ago about games that kids used to play before the first American Civil War and how those games went extinct. Nobody knows their names. They don't play them anymore. And they're just lost to history. And of course, the first Civil War is now, what, 100, uh, 150 years in our past. So right. uh, they're gone. And then uh, a couple of books I read that were very influential as well. Uh, David Aikman's novel from the early uh, 90s called When the Almond Tree Blossoms. Uh, David Aikman was a senior foreign uh, correspondent for Time magazine, and, and his book uh, was about a a, uh, a fictional Second American Civil War that's fought along cultural lines of uh, liberal versus conservative ideologies. Uh, another book I read... More recently, uh, William Fortune's novel, One Second After, which is about an EMP attack against the United States. Um, So I just had this thought one day, you know, uh, I've been very active in coaching baseball and softball throughout my life. And uh, I'm very much aware of the declining popularity of baseball, particularly with the youth. And I just had this thought, like, well, Gosh, what would happen if, if baseball were to actually die as a sport, you know? I mean, there's, I don't want to fool your readers or try to pull it over their eyes. There's no danger of baseball collapsing right now. But no. uh, look, when you look at long-term trends, you do see this steady decline in the participation numbers of, of youth, in, especially in Little League. Um, I know in my own town here in McHenry, uh, there used to be like I don't know, four different little leagues around the area, uh, and now we're we're down to one. Um, so that's that's concerning. But uh, yeah, so the storyline, you know, was, the root of it was what if you know baseball were to collapse and and just go away as a sport, and then the question is, well, how could that happen? And so the how could that happen, as I just touched upon, is the declining popularity, especially using you, you project it 40 years in the future. Um, and then there's a civil strife that erupts that uh, that consumes the country and the, and the sport that just vanishes. Um, so that's the that's the nexus of, of uh, uh, that went into the, the the framework of the story. All right. Now, so I guess one thing that I'm looking at with your book is with it being stemmed from a civil war, because obviously America's still standing, still running. Uh, things have changed if a civil war occurred. Do you, Does your book discuss the civil war that occurred, the second civil war, or is it kind of everything's focused on <clears throat> bringing back the bringing back baseball, bringing back the culture, things like that. Yeah, very excellent question. So, um, the the second Civil War is an undercurrent in the story, 
the the book overall is a feel good story of hope. Uh, that's coming out in multiple reviews. Uh, you see the word hope that's in the reviews. Mm-hmm. And um, but what has happened is that the Civil War was such a defining moment in the culture, uh, in the book that uh, it has reshaped the culture and has helped. You know. I can use the phrase kind of recenter America and, and revitalize it. Um, things are kind of bad right now. And, and uh, you know, you just kind of wonder where things are headed. But the Civil War comes along and, like I say, helps uh, uh, recenter the country and helps get people back to a point of getting along with one another, even when they disagree, which is, you know, sorely lacking right now. We have a a country that's very divided. Mm-hmm. People don't get along with anyone unless they agree with them. And right. that's going to be for a disaster. So it is an undercurrent in there. It is The war is talked about a little bit here and there in the book. And that's intentional when I was writing the story uh, to spark thought in the reader, as well as possibly discussion you know, with friends or family. All and right. then there's some dialogue in the in the story itself where there's there's some discussions about the war and and uh, you know what it meant and, and what happened et cetera and and how um, you know a big thing was uh, in the story is, is the the history of the war is, is is taught to the kids in school and they want the kids to really learn it and know it and make sure that they don't ever allow it to to happen again in the history of the country. All right. Now, with the sport itself, bringing back that game out of a forgotten past, the the main character, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm going off the reviews of this, I believe that it was a kid that discovered it or something that, first found it and started bringing back like i think you even said at the beginning that a young guy found the the artifact correct so is there any indication of i guess i'm thinking about how you said at the beginning there's games from the first civil war that just disappeared became extinct and no one really remembers or knows how they were played how does baseball is baseball in your book going to be the same baseball we know today or does it change with the current setting? Yeah, no. Uh, what happens is the, uh, when the, uh, the uh, protagonist is a 12 year old boy, by mm-hmm. name is, yeah, and the story starts out in the first chapter, he and a buddy go exploring in the woods on the other side of the river that uh, forever, forever, anyone can remember uh it's been a no man's land because it was the site of a very famous battle in the war and it wasn't safe to go over there but uh uh it's been cleaned up uh by the army corps and uh they decide they're going to go over there and just go exploring in the woods and see what they can find and so they find this sign that has a tie back to baseball, but they have no understanding of what it is or what the sign means at first. And uh, it sparks a search for the sign's meaning 
Uh, in the meantime, uh, 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 Joe Scott, the character, and his brother, they take a trip out to Dyersville, Iowa, where their grandfather lives, and they find a second discovery uh, that also holds a key to the past regarding the sport of baseball. I mean, they put the two together, and they're able to uh, uh, begin this uh, adventure to try and and rediscover the sport and try to learn it and try to bring it back and introduce it to the culture. All right. Now here's something is, so they're going through there's They're finding these clues, finding this information to bring it back to life. What, what kind of challenges are they finding? Do they have people that are trying to stop them from doing this? I mean, what's really the conflicts, some of the conflicts they face yeah, that is going to make sure that I don't sit there and say, okay, this is just a couple kids running around the country trying to play sure. baseball. Sure. Well, uh, the antagonist in the story is really not a person. It's the war and the remnants of the war and the destruction of knowledge that is a part of the war. Um, because what happens in the war is that um, one of the things that happens is a computer virus is unleashed and uh it goes and invades every computer on the planet and erases all data and so with the destruction of all the data obviously comes the destruction of knowledge Mm -hmm. knowledge that we have access to uh, and increasingly the knowledge we have access to is online and so if you take that 40 years in the future and then all of a sudden that's all gone, um, then you've got a real problem because uh, then you got to try and rediscover that knowledge and, and old books and magazines, et cetera, et cetera. And where are all those at? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that, well, that's a challenge in itself, right? Yeah, I mean, it's getting uh, harder and harder to find old books. And I mean, personally, I have, I think I inherited my grandparents' books in some of those you just kind of look at and go, wow, those were, and those were from the thirties and forties and what's so have you. So, sure, sure, sure. So some of the older books, I can see how that would be a challenge. Just to find some of these older books. Right. And then the other, the other part of it is that, um, uh, you know, the, and I talk about the remnant of the war or, or the lingering after effects of the war where in this case, um, there's no one alive that the kids can go talk to about baseball. No one has any memory of it. Right. Uh, because at, at war's end, the country is in such a bad state that the primary focus is survival, not, not playing games. And right. uh, so that, that's another thing is they have to try and figure this out. Uh, they get some help, you know, they find some help, but still, there's there's that lack of interchange between someone who knows the knowledge in their head and someone who doesn't, and that interchange you have when you have that question and answer back and forth. So they don't they don't have that aspect is missing. All right. They, no one no one has any memory of the game. All right. Now here's one thing that is kind of rattling in my head about it is. Do you discuss the shift in culture and things like that, or that might occur the 
difference of culture in 150 or 140 years in the future versus what we're dealing with now because there was a huge difference in culture from the first civil war to now and even after the civil war for years and years the culture was so impacted by that war sure yeah so what what winds up happening and this comes out when you when when your readers will read the story is that um the culture has has like i say kind of re-centered itself when you look at the biggest issue i think in our country today is that the the family structure is broke it has Mm -hmm. broken down on so many levels and um in the story, the family structure has been restored. And, um, you know, mom and dad are in the home. Uh, there's discipline. Um, there's respect for their elders. Uh, and and uh, kind of a, one of the things I put in there, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, at first it seems kind of silly. But when you talk about it, it makes sense. And, 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 and that is, is that the family dinner time is restored. Now think about it now. Family dinners are very, they're, they're rare. I mean, most mm-hmm. families are involved in playing taxi driver, getting their kids to and from all the different activities their kids are involved. And so they're, they're eating dinner in the vehicle or in the bleachers or wherever. Right. Uh, right. And so there's all this coming and going and, and, and no one's home at the same time. And uh, everybody's schedules are so packed uh, in the evening. And so, you know, in the book, it's important that the, the family comes together. They take that time out uh, to break bread and, and fellowship together and to talk and share with one another each, each you know, stories about each person's, uh, you know, successes and, and failures of that day. And, and it's that that interaction at the dinner table, uh, which, you know, was very common when I was growing up in the sixties and seventies, but, uh, Mm -hmm. that interaction I think is, is very therapeutic. And, uh, also I think helps, helps, helps keep that family cohesion when you can sit around and take that time and, and share one another's successes and triumphs and tragedies and encourage one another, applaud one another, whatever the case may be. And uh, so that comes out in the story too that 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 family dynamic has been restored. All right. Now, with that, family's a huge. Sounds like it's a big portion of it. What is the actual, I guess, conflict or issues that these boys are facing? Other than, well, I'm trying to think of how to actually answer, ask my question. Because I know you discussed the conflicts between there, but are there actual people in the story that's making it harder on them? Or is it just the separation of knowledge and being able to implement that lost knowledge? Correct. It was, it's like I say, the antagonist is not a person or, or a group. It's, it's that destruction of knowledge and the attempt to re- recover that knowledge. Uh, and that's touched upon too, as far as um, there's a portion of the book where it talks about 
you know, a national attempt to recover data that's been destroyed. And so there's this effort to gather up as many old books and newspapers and magazines that, you know, they scour the whole country looking for this stuff. And and, and, they, and there's this process where they're trying to re-digitize all this knowledge so that it becomes available again. So, and that, to me, um, you know, that's, that to me was a, a very important part of the story is to put that in there as far as illustrating one of the potential effects of, of a second civil war, particularly the one that, that, that plays out uh, uh, is, is the backstory. All right. Now, is there much technology in your world 140 years in the future with yeah, that great. loss of data? Yeah, great question. So uh, another great question. So in the book, uh, I write that the at the very beginning, I write that the country has restored, has technologically recovered to a point of where it was at the outbreak of the war. So we have vertical takeoff and landing commercial aircraft. We have artificial intelligence robots that can hover across the ground. And they, they and they they're, dom they're domestic robots, I should say. Uh, we have uh, self-driving cars as well. It's you know we have that now, but at that time that's all you have. Um, right. And uh, they can uh, they can glide along as well. They can levitate off the ground as they travel along. Um, and then uh, there's new, obviously new. Uh, uh, computer systems and stuff like that. There's there's uh, robotic uh, uh, soldiers that can uh, perform tasks in dangerous areas where humans uh, could not go to. And uh, there's this one particular scene in uh, Chicago. Chicago is still radiated uh, because one of the things that happens in the war is that uh, uh, four American cities are are uh, nuked uh, by ourselves. Uh, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, and Charlotte. And so there's a scene in Chicago where these uh, robotic soldiers are are doing some exploration, and, and, uh, and they're involved in a uh, a science project to try and figure out how to how to deradiate uh, these areas. Hmm. So, so your story goes more through a whole bunch of different topics, not just the recovering of baseball, but the events happening around. So it's not just focused on these two children. Yeah. So the, you know, the major theme is, is revolved right. around baseball. There is this undercurrent and uh, you know, with these, these four large cities and their Metro areas that, that have been uninhabitable for a hundred years and I wanted to put up, I call it the sci-fi chapter where uh, there's this project to try and figure out how do we make these areas livable again without revealing too much uh, a discoveries made that could uh, possibly do that. And so uh, I think that was chapter six, but I call it, I call it the <laughs> sci-fi channel. <laughs> okay. Sci-fi chapter. So. Understand. You have these robots and, and this other stuff going on. So, so with that, it sounds like you 
you thinking about that chapter, you actually enjoyed it. What was some of the some of your favorite parts of the book that you can tell us about without giving too much away that you think other people is going to really thrive if they knew about? Yeah, so a couple of chapters. Uh, one chapter which uh, takes place primarily in Dyersville, Iowa, which for baseball lovers, we all know what Dyersville is. It's the the home of the Field of Dreams, and and the MLB just played a couple of games there over the last two years. But uh, um, I, I I I wanted to put that in there as a kind of a tip of the hat uh, to the whole the whole thing of what Dyersville means to to uh, the baseball fans, and plus just fans in general of the movie. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a scene in there. It takes place at the grandfather's house. He's got a farmhouse um, out in the cornfields. Uh, <laughs> or tip to the story, but there's no feel of dreams in the story, <laughs> or no no baseball field in the, in Dyersville. That that's the, it's just the location of uh, kind of a tip of the hat to uh, to all of that. But uh, a really uh, uh, endearing uh, scene on the on the front porch of this grandfather's farmhouse plays out uh, without telling too much and another good scene uh involves the president of the united states and giving a speech uh and i I really spent some time on that and and uh uh trying to have the speech kind of sound like something like a gettysburg address part two all right That, that was pretty cool Sounds good. So is it there more characters? I understand it's focused around the main boy that's 12 years old and his brother. Uh But is there more people involved in this or is it just those two? Oh, yeah. Yeah, There's supporting characters. uh, uh, Joe Scott's uh, father, uh, a co-worker of his father, uh, a grandfather that uh, plays a, a pretty big role. And then uh, we've got the president who gets involved, and then uh, there's a surprise appearance uh, uh, towards the end of the book by some some famous people. That All right, who they are? <laughs> Sounds but, like a plan. So, with this, obviously in well, the story, and then there's a very uh, a, a very important character is a newspaper reporter. He's a very important character that gets involved. And helping, uh, uh, you know, cover the story of what these boys are trying to do. All right. So now, these boys, do they have issues between, like, I know brothers, like my brother and I, I don't see us actually ever making that kind of trip together, especially when we're young. Because my brother and I like to fight as much as we could just being young and dumb and all this. But I know some brothers were very close. Do they have the brother conflict between themselves or that brother give and take or push or antagonizing yeah, each other? No, yeah, no. Uh, good question, but no. And, and uh, you know, one thing that comes out when you read the book is that when that undercurrent we've been talking about pops up, mm-hmm. it's, very, it's very sobering to read about but the overall general storyline uh, is meant to be a, a feel-good story of hope, and so in that regard, the idea of of you know interpersonal conflict is really not there, and it's not there 
intentionally because of what happened in the war when you had all these interpersonal conflicts that just, you know, exploded in such a horrible way. And uh, so I, I was very intentional that, you know, I wanted this to be a very hopeful book, an inspiring book, a thoughtful book. Uh, so it was very important, the storyline that, unlike now, when we're not getting along, in the story, mm -hmm. people are getting along again. And that very is very, very clear in the storyline that people are getting along. All right. So the family dynamics, even simple brother, brotherly rivalry or things like that, has changed compared to now and before time. So that's an interesting fact to see. There is a difference in family interactions. Now, with everything going on in your book, how much of it is there? Is there any way that these kids cannot bring it back that I know the book makes it the death and resurrection, which tells you that they either bring baseball back or they're close to it. Is there a chance that it might not happen in the book or is there any fear of it? Well, you know, the big thing is that you're starting from zero knowledge and then trying to acquire that knowledge and then, trying to execute that knowledge, right? So let's uh, mm -hmm. do an analogy. Let's say we lost all the all the schematics for making uh, a simple electronic device, you know? Right. So you start from zero, and somehow you come across, you know, a document that tells you, you know, well, this is, you know, this is how this was built, but then it's like, Okay, this is how it's built, but then how do you how do you bridge that how it was built from zero knowledge because you got that middle part where you, you actually have to do it. You actually mm -hmm. have to learn how to do it, right? And so that's the struggle the kids have is is you know trying to relearn the sport and actually doing it before you can actually get to a point where you can say they they actually are doing it and they've actually done it, you know. So there there's uh uh, and, and you'll see that in, in the in the story. So, all right. So the story also is a hunt for knowledge, not just. So there's multiple layers to this in the sense of what a reader is going to gain gain out of your book. So, with that, is there really a um, driving factor that m made you want to write this book? Yeah, so uh, I really wanted to, uh, you know, do two things. Number one, entertain the reader. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to fulfill really a, a lifelong dream of writing a book. Uh, uh, and I thought, well, I love baseball. A baseball story would be good. And then, you know, like I say, these other things came into play, and that's how the storyline developed. But. You know, I really wanted to entertain the re the reader and make them feel good when they're done reading the book. But part of that also uh, it ties, again, back to making the reader think about where America is currently at and where we could be headed. And, you know, how do we, how do we uh, uh, you know, make sure that 
what's depicted in the book doesn't actually happen because uh, I think there's still time that we can turn things around in this country uh, on many different levels. Um, and one of them would be, you know, to relearn the art of, of, of agreeing to disagree and, and agreeing to get along with one another, even when we don't agree. So that's All right. that's sorely missing. Understand, and I agree with that. So what is it about baseball that you love that drove you to the sport? Or Because to write a book that's focused around baseball, there has to be something there that you love about it. Yeah, so I first uh, fell in with baseball as a kid playing sandlot ball in, in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just dated myself, so I'm, I'm 64, <laughs> 64, but grew up in the 60s and, and uh, all those famous names in baseball back then, collected baseball cards. But mm-hmm. it was that playing of, of baseball on the sandlots and playing it every day or out in front of our house and, and that, that repetition and and learning the nuances of the game, appreciating the nuances and, and uh, really uh, was a catalyst for, for really falling in love with the sport. And then as I grew older, of course, uh, attending games and, and uh, still playing it as well. But uh, I just, you know, I just really enjoy the nuance. I enjoy the fact that it's the only sport without a time limit. You know, you gotta, you gotta play nine innings and if it's, an hour and a half or three and a half or four hours. You got to mm-hmm. get those nine innings and figure out the winner of the game. There's no ties or nothing. Right. And so that's a, that's a pretty cool feature. Uh, obviously, I know they're, you know they're trying to speed the games along because they're, they're starting <laughs> getting a little ridiculously long. But right. I, I, think, I think they've accomplished that. These new rules they implemented this year uh, appear to be working, at least from what I hear. All right. And like I said, baseball was definitely never one of my strong suits in sports. And I just never, I mean, I I always joked I'd rather watch golf on TV than watch a game of baseball in person. But I always grew up with hockey and football. You know what I call golf? I was saying. (laughs) Golf? The sport of golf. I, I I call golf. The most cuss-inducing sport ever induced by man. <laughs> you know, the one great thing about uh, golf is it's I, one of the few sports you can drink and play uh, at the same time. Uh, yeah, I'm I, not a very good golfer, so uh, it's always a challenge to get out of the golf course. And, well, that's why you that's why you have a couple beers and you blame uh, it on the beers. I mean, I promise you, I'm a good golfer. It's just those three beers I drank in the first half. (laughs) (laughs) No, trust me, my golfing, it's been a few years since I've golfed, but that's what I always did. Every bad game I had is it's not me. It's the beers. (laughs) (laughs) So, but with that, I don't want to take up your whole time in all your day. And I really want people to reach out to you to find out more about your book and, try to get it because it does sound very interesting. It sounds like there's a lot of layers, a lot of information and a, and a uncommon adventure that will drag people along to, from what I understand of the reviews as well, bring that hope back and mm-hmm. bring joy of the story. So sure. where can people reach out to you other than my website where I have your profile, authorblurb.com, where's the best place if somebody wants to talk to you, Find your books or what so happened. Yeah, they, they 
reach me directly through my author website. And that's authorwilliamrdouglas.com. Pretty simple. Uh, you can email me through that site. There's also links to the various places where you can purchase the book. You know, obviously the big hitters, Amazon, Google, Apple, yada, 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 Barnes and Noble. Um, and then, uh, there's also an author profile page on an Amazon, but, uh, there's mm-hmm. also links on my author, Liam site to all the numerous podcasts that I've been on talking about, uh, talking about the book. So we'd love to hear from your readers and, uh, uh, we'd love to hear your review as well. When you get a chance, that'd be great to hear, hear your thoughts, uh, especially as a non-baseball fan. <laughs> Well, I'll add it to my list. It's, but I will add you to my list of reviews. So once I get to that point, I'll be happy to do one. Now, I do appreciate you being here. Like I said, I'm not going to take up all your day. If you can hold on for me just for a moment, I'm going to end the recording for everybody else. But I'd like to talk to you just for a few more minutes. Sure, it's been fa- it's been fun being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed you being here too. Hold on. So thank you for making it this far. Remember. You can go to authorblurb.com where there's plenty of stuff there for you to find. Enjoy another author. Enjoy finding that book that you love. So take the time. Do me a favor. Share. Subscribe. Enjoy the show and tell others. Thank you.